0: so that we may give glory and honour to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This morning as we look at this uh, passage uh, on temptation, uh, may I just say at the outset that uh, our hope today is never to condemn anyone here or to make them feel bad, but the hope from this passage as we look to it is that we might uh, actually strengthen uh, everyone here, that we might just have some further clues and, and understanding of God's word and uh, that we look to God to really help us and to strengthen us to be able to walk uh, a holy life. And, and remember this, that if you're struggling in areas, and I think it's fair to say that we all do, we all fall short of the glory of God, that we also remember the forgiveness that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and that today is a new day. If you've come in here and you're really struggling in areas of your life, know this today is a new day and look to the Lord uh, and and what he can do in your life uh, from this time on. The Christian author Walter Knight tells the story of two Christians who prior to their conversion, prior to coming to Jesus, they had both been alcoholics. And then after their conversion, one of the the men, one of the alcoholics, uh, found that he actually hated alcohol and had absolutely no desire for it whatsoever. But the other uh, gentleman who, who had been an alcoholic and now was saved found that, He constantly needed to rely on God's strength so that he wouldn't uh, return to uh, drinking again. And sometimes we resist temptation almost effortlessly and at other times we struggle to resist. We might find that one person might find one area of temptation really easy to resist, but they really struggle in another area over here And the next person will be exactly the opposite. They'll struggle with these areas of temptation. Over here, they they can just resist very easily. What we're going to do today is try to understand some aspects of temptation and really look to the Lord for strength in our life to help us to, to walk a holy walk that is pleasing to God. Now in the text that we're having a look at and in this uh, chapter, James chapter 1, James shifts focus because previously he'd been talking about trials that in a sense come from outside of us. He, he's talking about the trials that are the circumstances of life and how do we, how do we um, work with those as you know, what we might call bad things or trying things happen to us. And and you probably don't remember because we actually looked at that text probably two or three months ago uh, now. But but what we're going to do is we're going to have a look at this where James shifts focus and now he's looking at the trials that come from within. We learn from James that temptation is a problem because the sin in us, our sin nature, causes us many times to give in to temptation. And James sets the record straight regarding the source of temptation. So we read in verse thirteen when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So we see straight away that God does not tempt us to sin, for God cannot be tempted by evil. Sin holds no attraction to God whatsoever. God is pure and holy. And we see this in the life of Jesus, where Jesus is out in the wilderness for 40 days, and then the devil comes and tempts him. And the devil tempts him with wealth and power. And, And he tries to get Jesus to use his divine power for his own selfish reasons and to disobey the father. But Jesus wasn't at all enticed. There was no consideration by Jesus to yield and he firmly rebuffed the devil. With our sinful nature, we would have been in an entirely different situation. Whether we gave in or not, we would have been enticed because of our sinful nature and it would have been a real battle for us. James says in verse 14, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Because we are sinful creatures, temptation can be very attractive to us. It can even seem good. And we saw that in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve um, where the devil came along and and he tempted them uh, to eat of the fruit that they were forbidden to eat from. And he said to them, uh, basically paraphrasing it, if you eat from this fruit, you will attain knowledge and you will be like God. And Adam and Eve, they looked at the fruit. We don't know what kind it is. It's often depicted as an apple. We don't know. They look at the fruit and they think, oh, it looks really good. It actually looked good. But then they also thought, wow, with it, we are going to attain knowledge and we are going to be like God. So it was very appealing to them. It was very attractive. It was very enticing. But we know, of course, that it came at a great price. For themselves and Adam and Eve being representative of the human race it it brought disaster upon them and upon us. But James says it is our own sinful nature, that's the voice we hear when we yield to temptation, it is not God's voice. Now We'll come back to that in a minute, but let's just have a look now at what is this temptation? What is the sin that we might possibly commit? In other words, what does sin look like in our life or what could it look like? What are we actually trying to uh, avoid? What temptation are we trying to resist? I was speaking to a neighbour once. um, We were just talking over the uh, fence And uh, in the course of conversation, he said to me, I obey the Ten Commandments. And I I thought to myself, I don't reckon you even have a clue what the Ten Commandments are because I knew for a fact that he was cheating on his wife and he was uh, cheating on his boss because he was out and about doing his own work, pretending that he was working for the boss. And there's a whole lot of other things and, and I thought, oh, well, you, you haven't even got a clue uh, what the Ten Commandments are. But let's just have a look at the last five commandments. And, and if you, you're wondering what sin looks like, go and have a look at the commandments. You'll find them in Exodus chapter 20 and we'll just have a brief look now. The last five, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour, and you shall not covet, uh, meaning you shouldn't look at, you know, the things other people have got and you get jealous and think, oh, I have to have that. You know, oh, look at that big boat that my neighbour's got. Oh, I have to have a boat, that kind of thing. So, so that's how sin looks like. And, and I think, you know, most of us may be familiar with that. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, uh, and don't be jealous and desire the things of other people. But Jesus went on and he expanded on the commandments. So he said things like this. If you look with lust, you have committed adultery in your heart. And if you hate your brother, you are subject to judgment. In other words, Jesus went further and he said it's not just doing the act of, of, of breaking these commandments, but it's also if we do it in our mind, we've already sinned against the Lord. Now, now we just need to say this: that obviously, um, it's better not to actually do the act, because if if we actually do some of these things, it causes great harm to ourselves and to other people. The consequences are dire, so we shouldn't do the act. But but Jesus points out that hey, it's more than just that; it's also what's going on in our mind, what's going on in our heart. We can actually sin in our heart because we're desiring to do something but, but we, you know, th- the law and, and, and our conscience and so on restrains us but nonetheless in our heart we already want to do uh, the thing that we're thinking about. But I want to just take a little bit of a different approach now uh, because they are the things that uh, sometimes we can do wrong that we know Oh, yeah, that's sin. If you go and do those things, it causes harm. That's sin. But let's have a look at the first two commandments because sometimes I think that we sin without really knowing how serious it is. So the first two commandments, you shall have no other gods before me and you shall not make idols. So this is God uh, speaking to the Hebrew nation and he speaks to us. You shall have no other gods before me and you shall not make idols. It can work its way out in all kinds of ways. And I'm going to share some ways that may be a bit of a surprise to some of us. But we might be sitting there at night and this might go on night after night and and we get home and we're thinking, I'm going to watch TV now. But God is prompting us and wanting us to spend some time with him in prayer, in reading the Bible, in reading some Christian books, in meditating upon him. And if we give in and we say, oh, no, I'm not going to spend time with God, I'm going to watch TV instead, that actually becomes sinful. Or what about the delights of YouTube, for instance? And I want to just talk about some of these modern marvels that we have. YouTube's amazing. It's got all kinds of things. You can find videos on absolutely anything. And uh, I, I love looking at it. There's just fascinating things. I, I like looking, you're probably going to think I'm strange, but I like looking at container ships and how they work and what the crew does and how they load them and and, and the cruise ships, you know, just the, the couple of thousand crew to make them work, and, 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 and I'm just fascinated by it and how they build these amazing bridges and tunnels and all things like that. Um, absolutely fascinating. The problem is, though, um, I, what i found is you can get onto YouTube and say so I'm going to spend five minutes and about two or three hours later, whoops, and, and, and it's very easy just to get drawn into uh, just, just spending time on these things. Now, entertainment, it seems so attractive. And in itself, as long as it's wholesome entertainment, it is okay in itself. But the problem is when it continually overrules time spent with God or time serving God, then it can become sin for us. Remember that um, coming back to the Garden of Eden, um, God came in the cool of the day to speak with Adam and Eve and, of course, they are hiding and uh, God calls out, where are you? Imagine if God came to visit us in the cool of the day and he calls out, where are you? And we say, God, I'm over here watching TV. God, I'm on YouTube. God, I haven't got time for you now because I'm on Facebook seeing what my friends are doing. See, all of these things in themselves, they're harmless. They're not offensive. But if continually they're pushing God aside, then they have become sin for us. I don't know whether that's surprising to you or not, but but anything can... Be put, or we can take anything and put it before our God. Anything can become for us an idol in our life. Things that in themselves are not harmful, but they can become harmful if they are placed before the Lord. Sin may just look like this it might be our selfishness. Our self-centeredness, it might be the fact that we're just uncaring. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus says this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the the second commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. See, sometimes our selfishness keeps us from God. And sometimes our selfishness keeps us from helping other people. You see, we might think that sin and and what indicts us before God is sometimes the wrong things or the bad things that we do. But may I suggest that I think often the sin that indicts us are the very things we don't do. It's our neglect of God. It's our neglect of other people because our selfishness and our self centeredness makes it inconvenient to pursue God, makes it inconvenient to pursue other people. Temptation would not be tempting if we were pure. But James says there in verse 14, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. James uses the language of a predatorial animal, like a lion dragging its prey to where the pride will eat it. And our evil desire drags us away to sin and to death. And we read in verse 15, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. To be tempted is not sin. Jesus was tempted, but he didn't sin. But it's after desire has conceived, or when we act upon the temptation, that then we have sinned. And let's have a look at this again, this verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Sin actually grows. You can't sin a bit and satisfy it. It's like taking a snowball. If you've ever taken a snowball and you've rolled it down the hill in the snow, as it goes, it actually grows larger. A little snowball like that can be that big by the time it gets to the bottom of the hill. I remember as a a teenage boy, probably younger than that, um, riding billy carts. And we used to get at the top of the hill uh, it was below one of those, you know, water um, reservoir thingies. Um, <laughs> that's not very engineering speak, is it? Um, and um, and, and we go down the hill and how many of you know that as you go down the hill, it, it, your speed grows. And if you had a sophisticated billy cut, you'd put on the brakes or otherwise you'd just have to put your feet on the wheels or on the ground to slow yourself down. Sin seems to be the same it seems to gather speed it seems to grow so for instance the child who's told there's a cookie jar you're not allowed to have any cookies out of the cookie jar without permission and the child sits there and thinks oh i really want a cookie oh so badly want a cookie but they yield but they keep thinking about it and it's a real battle they might go days but eventually they think i'm going to have one And they lift it up and they eat it. The problem is that because they get away with it, the next time around, the battle isn't quite so strong. And it's just that little bit easier to go back and to have another cookie. And the third time becomes easier again. The fourth time becomes easier again. And before long, we might be in the habit of uh, whatever sin it might be. You know, we see that play out in gambling. People who, who start off gambling and think, oh, it's so um, harmless, and, and we'll just, let's have a little bit of a dabble, not a problem. And before long, uh, they're just caught up in something that might even be destroying their own life and their family. You see, it, it grows. Uh, sin grows. I, I I know we need to you know, help people who, who get caught up in that. Um, but but let's let's call it sin. It's still sinful. Um, you know, you might be surprised at me saying this. But, but you know, there we are. Remember how I was saying before, things can come uh, between us and God. We're watching TV and before long uh, we're, we're binge watching on Netflix. You know, just hours and hours, night after night, we're just binge watching on Netflix. It grows. We start off just doing a little bit, but before long, it, it, it's just caught us out. People who have an affair the first time might just be really, really difficult. It uh, might not even be something really that's planned, it, it, it just happens. and uh, but, but then after a while, it can become a pattern in a person's life, it can grow. Um, Can I say pornography for people? Um, That area grows in people's life. Uh, They start off by just having a little peek out of curiosity and before long it grows and it can ensnare a person's life. And can I say to you, if you're not caught up in it already, and we pray and hope that you're not, but if you're not, don't look not even once. Don't out of curiosity even go there. Don't look. Not even once. Because the person who goes out of curiosity to look once can be already snared. Don't even go there not once. Can I say in the area of drugs, people who start off just having a little bit of a drug at a party and think, oh, that's harmless, and before long their life's destroyed by it. Don't go there not even once. Not once because once might be enough to ensnare you and to take you into this world of sin that you bitterly regret and you're there wanting desperately to get out of it but it's already destroying your life. Don't go there, not even once. We need to fight sin at its inception. Bishop J.C. Ryle in the late 19th century, he said this, Habits like trees are strengthened by age. A boy may bend an oak when it is a sapling, but a hundred men cannot root it up when it is a full-grown tree. Sin at its inception might not look too bad, but if it's left, Later on it's this just, it is a huge tree in your life and you're trying to get it out and it is a lot harder. It can be done, don't be without hope, it can be done but it's a lot harder. It's better to fight sin at its inception so that it doesn't become a life-destroying problem. In verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. James here is saying, do not err in our judgment of God. Don't blame God. He is not tempting you. He is actually giving you good things. And also, don't blame other people. James isn't saying this. He's just saying, don't blame God. But as an aside, I'm saying, don't blame other people. Come back to the Garden of Eden again. And, and God says to um, Adam, where are you? And and he says, have, have you eaten from the fruit that was forbidden uh, for you to eat from? And uh, guess what Adam says? He says, this is really interesting, he says, well, God, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. And then Eve says in answer to God, Oh, well, basically, the devil made me do it. Isn't that what often we do in our life? We blame God and we blame other people, but we don't take responsibility ourselves. What a cheek of, of Adam to, to say that, well, the woman you put here, you see, he's, he's pointing the finger at God. It's your fault, God. You put her here. We can't blame God. That's what James is saying. We can't blame other people. And and friends, um, you know, we can't for what's going on in our life blame our parents. Oh, we can't just blame our childhood. We can't blame our partner. Or it's our friend's fault. We need to take responsibility ourselves. It's not somebody else's fault. Yes, they might have contributed to it but we have to take responsibility for it ourselves. But can I say this to us, please, today, that, that we hear this? It is true that things can influence us. And things in our past may be affecting us now. And we might have even had a terrible, a bitter, horrible childhood. That's possible. And it might be causing what we would call baggage, in our life now. It might be making our life really hard now. Um, We still, though, even if that has all gone on, we still need to be responsible for our life. But God is compassionate and God is loving. And if you're struggling today because of things in your past, then find somebody who is uh, mature, a mature Christian believer, someone you trust someone you can rely on, and go and share it with them. And uh, that is the beginning of a road to recovery. God wants to bring healing into your life. God wants to help you. But what we have to do is stop just blaming the past and saying, hey, that did contribute, but now I need to do business with God. God wants to heal. God wants to... Help us. Verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. God does not tempt us to sin. Rather, James says he gives us good gifts. And and of course, one of the good gifts is the new birth that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. And further good gifts flow from that new birth in Christ. So we are healed, we're made whole, we're spiritually alive, we are forgiven, we are in a relationship with God. We we have the righteousness of Jesus imputed to us. Our sin is put on Jesus and Jesus' righteousness is put on us. We have peace with God, we have inner joy, we have the Holy Spirit And the word of God to guide our life and also our death. And we have identity in Christ. So many people now struggling with identity and self-worth. We receive identity in Christ. That's the answer to that. If you're struggling in areas of of identity and self-worth, the answer is in Christ. That's where you find the answer. Um, in, In Christ we have worthiness, we have purpose, we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit and we have an eternal life lived with God forever and ever. Verse 17, the whole lot. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Now, it says there that he's the Father of the heavenly lights. In other words, he's the creator of the heavens, of all that we see when we look into The night sky. Now scientists tell us that the universe is all of space and time and their contents including planets, stars, galaxies and all other forms of matter and energy seen and unseen. I listened um, a while ago to a uh, systematic theologian and a scientist explaining how space is also time and in the end my eyes were spinning I don't think I really understood any of it, but I I sort of got the the general gist of it. But let me just share this with you and then I'll explain why I'm sharing it. The biggest supercluster known in the universe is the Hercules-Corona-Borealis Great Wall. If you think the Great Wall of China is impressive, then listen to what God has, has made. It was first reported in 2013 and this object is a galactic filament, whatever that is, it's a galactic filament, a vast group of galaxies bound together by gravity. It's so big that it takes light about 10 billion years to move across the structure from one side to the other. Light, 10 billion years, that's a lot of years. And light travels very quickly, more quickly than our cars outside. It travels just under 300,000 kilometres per second. That means that light, any point of light, can go around the earth seven and a half times in one second. That's fast. Light travelling that fast takes 10 billion years to get across this group of galaxies. And you might be saying, why the science lesson? You're not a scientist and I'm the first to admit, no, I'm absolutely not. But the reason I'm sharing this is because this God, this amazing God who create can create something so vast, really, it's just beyond our, our, our imagining how big and vast, that really is. This amazing God gave his son to die for us on the cross. Think about that. Our God, who is so great and so mighty and so just filled with awe and amazement, who can create the heavens. He's the father of the heavenly lights. He gave us His son to die upon the cross, and it's this amazing God who we treat so poorly at times. God, get away! I'm too busy. I'm on Facebook. God, get away! I'm I'm on Netflix. Sometimes we throw God away like he's just some rubbish. We attempt it and we set aside God to yield to temptation. Friends, it helps us to resist temptation when we appreciate the amazing, awesome God whom we worship. And can I say this? Don't just war against temptation, you know. Don't just war against sin. Don't just get there and and sort of in our own strength think, oh, I've just got to beat this. But actually spend your time getting to know God better and to appreciate him more. I believe that the strength that we need to have It's God's strength in our life and it grows as we grow with God. As we get to appreciate him more and and we love him more and know more and more his love for us, then that puts strength in our life to help us to walk a holy life. He's the father of the heavenly lights, the sun, the moon and the stars. God is committed to light. Because God is light, He is pure light, and He gives us physical light into nature, and He gives us spiritual light. In 2nd Corinthians chapter 4, we read, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts. Let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. God, who is light, who is pure light, he shines light into the darkness of the universe, into all that we know, but he also shines light into our heart. And if you have come here today and you're seeking spiritual truth, if you're seeking out, hey, what's this Christian message about, then know this, that, it's, that God sh- shines light into our darkness through the Lord Jesus Christ and to Jesus is where we need to look. We spend millions, hundreds of millions looking into space, yet we brush aside the creator and the sustainer. I'm talking about humankind in general. We'll spend millions, hundreds of millions, we'll send people into space risking their lives. We do so much, so much effort looking into space and yet the creator and the sustainer, we don't give him the time of day. Hebrews 1 tells us the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. God exists. God is there complete as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God exists. And then he made creation. He created it. And creation exists over here as a separate entity. And God sustains all of his creation. And if God withdrew his sustenance, then all that we would know would immediately cease to exist. Wow. (laughs) What a God we worship. And yet the world spends billions, hundreds of millions trying to figure out how this has all come together, looking into space. And yet... Jesus, the sustainer of all things, he's just holding it all together. It cannot exist without his powerful word. Verse 17, it says that God does not change like shifting shadows. He is dependable. Um, I, sometimes when I've been you know, swimming on the beach um, and um, even in summer, um, you're there enjoying the sunshine, it's all nice, and all of a sudden you think, oh, it's got cold. And what's happened? A cloud has come over the sun, and suddenly we've we've gone into shadow. I, I hate that when that happens. Or or I'm out working in the garden, and I'm working away, it's all lovely and warm, and all of a sudden you think, oh, it's a bit cold now. And you look up, and and a cloud's gone uh, over uh, the the sun, and, and and suddenly we're in shadow. And that's how life is. But James is saying here that God does not change, like Shifting shadows. God does not change like that. God's nature is always the same. When I go out on what we call patrol, visiting people in the rural areas, I'm always praying and always wary because I find no matter how well I know people, I might find them different on any given day. They might be really lovely one day and a bit grumpy the next. One day they've got all the time in the world for me. The other, they're offish because really they want to be out feeding the sheep. They don't really want me there. Um, We're always changing as people, but God doesn't change. He doesn't change what he says. The Bible is always the same. We don't need to guess. He doesn't say one day salvation is through Christ and the next salvation is through works. No, God is always the same and he's not nice one day and crabby the next. I don't have to, when I go and pray to God, wonder, oh, I wonder how I'm going to find God today. Is he going to be nice or is he going to be a bit grumpy with me? God is always the same. God is utterly dependable. And because God's dependable, we can grow in him so that he can help us to live a holy life. Verse 18, "He he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So we have the new birth, we're justified, we're sanctified, we're adopted, we're declared innocent, we are made whole. That's very special. And then also where it says we're the first fruits of all he created, we know from the Old Testament that the first of the harvest belong to God. If we're a first fruits It's saying we belong to God. In Christ, we belong to God. And the first fruits also, the harvest, were unblemished. And God makes us unblemished. He makes us holy and he makes us special. Closing up now, I just want to say the God of the heavenly lights shines light into our hearts through Jesus. He adopts us into his family and he makes us special. The more we know that and appreciate it, the easier it becomes to resist temptation and to obey God. Now, can I just say one thing and then we'll pray. If you're sitting there saying to yourself, I love God and I do appreciate him, but I'm caught up in sin, And I'm just having such a battle in my life. Then as I said before, speak to somebody who is mature, somebody who is godly, someone you trust. It might be one of the elders. It might be your growth group leader. It might just be a a dear Christian friend. But speak to someone and begin your road to recovery Don't just sit there in the agony of what you're going through and and please don't think that what I've preached today makes me feel hard, you know, and no one's feeling like that. We sympathise, we empathise with all of our struggles. We all struggle to walk a holy life before God, but God loves you and he's the one working in your life to help you to live in holiness So go to him. Don't hide like Adam did in the garden, but go to God and reach out to somebody else so that we can start that road to to having victory in, in areas of our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may our heart be fixed upon you and how wonderful you are so that we are given strength to resist temptation. We are so extremely grateful for the forgiveness you give us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. We thank you that by your grace, we can live holy lives with joy and rejoicing. And we are also so thankful for the inner peace that comes from a cleansed heart. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, come around the Lord's table now, um, could I uh, invite the elders to come and to stand with me?